Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello, and welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, episode number 96. My name is Adrian Hobart. My name is Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following genres. Thrillers. Mysteries. Crime. And suspense. Well done. Thank you. Welcome to the show. And our guest this week is Kat Yaff, who is both a novelist and an expert in digital marketing she as well. She knows a lot, doesn't she? Yeah, she ha- She does. She really does. And uh, we've met Kat before at both Crime Fest and at Harrogate. And um, she has some rather wonderful news to share with us, personal news, uh, when we interviewed her a few days ago. Yes. So lovely. Lovely news. Yeah. So Kat, crime author and marketer extraordinaire and uh, something else as well. So we'll tell you about that later. When we speak to Cat, uh, let's get into the news. With a, with a, you know, let's crack on <laughs> in the show this week, and um, lots to, to go. Let's have a look at the the Twitter situation since we spoke about yeah, it last week. So... And you were in a situation where you were sort of saying, "Well, we have to stay on it," and then you know, we have to disregard any issues about Elon Musk taking sole control and all that sort of thing. Well, has not... that has that view shifted? Um, not entirely. Um... So we we still use Twitter. The, the majority of our social media engagement is on Twitter. Um, so we haven't left Twitter or anything like that. But I noticed yesterday that quite a few of the people we follow were saying, ooh, I'm going to move over to Mastodon. Yeah, which and, is another platform. Well, I'd never heard of it. I thought, Mastodon, that sounds like something from Doctor Who. What's that? <laughs> yeah. And it was um, Angela Mah- Mahan, um, who uh, was the first person I saw. Who we interviewed here on the podcast, didn't we? Angela McMahon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, good good try. Uh, um, yeah. So um, she was the first person I found on Mastodon when I registered Hobeck there. Um, now we have, I think we have about 25 followers and we're following about 30 people. So we're getting there. It looks the same as Twitter, but there are some differences. For example, um, you belong to a community and you can't automatically find people in different communities. So I don't know how you seek out other people who happen to be in a different community to you unless you put in the full address of where they are. It's mm. it's a little complicated. Okay. Everything else looks the same. You like things. You read. Mm-hmm. You read toot. I don't know. Read Mastodon to- things. <laughs> yeah, what do you do in Mastodon? I don't want to I don't want to speculate. Anyway, um so that's I mean you know, in the wider world, though, the significant changes uh, at Twitter. So, uh, just a few days ago, on Friday, in fact, uh, Elon Musk sacked half the staff worldwide, and he did it in a really <laughs> awful way. If you could log into your personal e- uh, your work email, then you were all right. And if you couldn't, and you had your presumably your laptop um, locked out of the system, then you pretty much knew you you were going. But then you got an email in your personal inbox telling you you've been fired now his 
explanation for what's going on is partly to try and make it profitable. Twitter is losing money. He's bought a, lose, uh, a, a, a company that is losing money. He spent $44 billion buying it, and its market value is only $15 billion. And um, it's, it's looking very hubristic at the moment. He is the sole director of Twitter now. He's basically got rid of everybody who ran Twitter and the thing that he is championing, he says, is real free speech. And he has basically decided that what he's going to do away with, most of all, is the way that the old version of Twitter used to uh, sit in judgment on certain accounts, particularly right-wing ones like Donald Trump's and mm-hmm. other conspiracy theorists and various other people. Um, now, what has happened in the week's you know, on the days since he took over as well, apart from the, the sackings, is in fact an awful lot of advertisers have pulled out of Twitter or frozen their their interest. And indeed, quite a number of very significant public figures, including Stephen King, has shut down his Twitter oh, account. No. Oh, dear. Well, he's, he's, <laughs> if his ambition is to make Twitter profitable, he's not going the right way. No. It, I, so it's an interesting thing. But I mean, I think that, that, that you know, the my personal concern, and this not, not, this is not really um, relevant to, to, to Hobeck, is the, the fact that Twitter had become and is a playground for bots in terms of about 30%, it's thought, of the accounts on Twitter are set up to propagate certain points of view, but done electronically. So they're not real people. They're fake, you know, effectively fake accounts. And that's a concern. And and also, you know, if you take away the moderation, then an awful lot of things which are very unsavory will be back on Twitter that have been perhaps been restricted in, you know, after much campaigning to try and um, influence what's on there. But most people we follow as Hobeck are book bloggers, readers, reviewers. They're not they're not automatic, are they? No, I mean, but you, you know, sometimes you have to think to yourself, you know, is it? Is it a platform you want to be swimming in on? You know, only do you know from com- completely selfish reasons. It's taken us two years to build up. I know, I know, but this is this is the nature of the the whole electronic world at the moment. Is that you know uh, people are starting to question what lies behind all of these things, including Facebook and Amazon and all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it, there's, there's a, a degree of scepticism is creeping into the world. Uh, whereas, you know, it was all exciting to join a few years ago. The fact is that it's not the same. These aren't the same platforms they were a few years ago. It's not just people putting up their puppy pictures and whatever on, on Facebook. Um, there's a lot more under the hood and behind the scenes that's going on to influence what we think and what we see. So that's all I'm asking is, you know, at what stage, you know, do we do the Mastodon migration completely well i think or do we well yeah it's one of those things you know people are a bit like sheep aren't they somebody goes other people follow and other people follow you get to a tipping point don't you where there would be so few of the people who we relied on to um keep our business sort of churning over have gone onto mastodon and of course we will concentrate more on that i mean i i am sort of looking at it and then trying to find new followers every now and then but i'm not spending massive amount of time on it because it's it is time consuming it's well that's that is the nature of social media and you know the the fact is you're damned with and damned without that that's the truth yeah so uh, anyway that's the debate that that continues and you know everyone is watching what elon musk is up to 
And I still think he sounds like aftershave. Well, <laughs> to some extent, and you know, his uh, hair transplant just does does my head in when I when I look at his hair because that's it, not real. No, no, no. That luxurious quiff is not real. Oh, I never knew that. No, because if you look at pictures from him just a few years ago when he was uh, launching Tesla and trying to get it going, uh, he very very thinning at the front there. Oh, right, very much so. Does, so, does he think it makes him more attractive? Who knows. I mean, look, he's the richest man in the world that, that's ever lived. Um, you know. But if he offered to buy me a gin and tonic, would I say yes? I don't know. I think he'd probably freak <laughs> you out, to be perfectly honest. But, I would know. I wouldn't recognise him. Well, no, but, I mean, apparently he, he looks at people in a very intense way, uh, apparently. It's one of the things he does if he pays you any attention whatsoever. So, uh, interesting. Anyway, look, that, that's the Twitter situation. Um in the wider world, we've talked about a lot about the cost of living crisis, and naturally that is going to impact on people's ability to buy books, but it's also going to impact on their ability to produce books. Two things happened this week that we, we ought to um, just touch on. Uh, first of all, um, I'm, I welcome this from Canongate, who are an independent Scottish publisher and uh, recently published uh, Ian Rankin's um, the Dark Remains, which was yes, they uh, did, yeah. his, his extrapolation of the notes of, of William McElvaney. Um And uh, we met the, one of the guys from Canada, the lovely people. Anyway, they're, they're actually paying their staff an extra little bit of money to help them with the cost of living crisis every month, uh, which I think is great. It is great. Maybe we should do the same. I'll give you an extra 10 quid if you give me an extra 10 quid. <laughs> Maybe if we paid ourselves anything, it would be a miracle. Um but um, that uh, I think that's that's really welcome, and you know clearly some of the other big publishers might look at it that way. But uh, yeah, I mean publishing is notoriously badly paid anyway, so anything that helps. I mean we're not talking about big sums of money, I don't think. I think uh, for the for the sort of staff on the lower end of the salaries, they're getting two hundred and fifty pounds a month extra, and a hundred pounds for the ones who are higher up the ladder. But that's still a significant you know increase, uh, and it, it's a sort of temporary grant kind of thing mm. but you know it might nice be. gesture we absolutely absolutely and um the the other sort of piece of news which has sort of uh affected a lot of people that we know uh is the uh the issues for dark edge press um yeah so it, it's it's a very sad news really that dark edge press have, have come to the conclusion that they will have to cease trading um a year from now december 2023 um, we haven't really had much to do with Dark Edge Press. I've not, been aware not, of no, and we we num- know a number of their authors. Yeah, so and, we spoke know, to a couple at Harrogate, didn't we? You know, we, we yeah, we rub shoulders with with you know with people, and um, you know, clearly distressing for those authors who aren't getting their their you know the the remainder of their contracts. They won't get their books published no. by Dark Edge Press. But look, I, I want to say this because we did a podcast this week. Uh, which is going out a couple of weeks' time, where we, we joined up with Karen Sullivan, who we mentioned a few weeks ago from, from Miranda Books, and uh, talked about the, the issues that we're all fin- finding as indie publishers. And um, it was, uh, Philippa kindly invited us on. Um, and it really is pretty stark. If, I mean, listening to, to what Karen was saying about the, the impact of so many factors at the moment on her business and its long-established award-winning business, with some fantastically well-known authors uh, and great penetration into the book market in the UK. And it's a real struggle. So 
I think that it's I, I have every sympathy with authors who aren't seeing their books published. Um, but I want to say a word for for Dark Edge Press because it would be absolute torture to to try you know having launched a business to to be in a position where you know you've got to shut it down mm. and you know goodness knows uh it's something that you know any business faces times of crisis and it, it is the toughest trading uh position for publishing uh, in years frankly at the moment yeah and i think once you get to that point you've tried everything you can you know you, you do everything you can to prevent that eventuality happening so you know it, it's very tough so tough on everybody everybody involved and you know it's it, i just just wanted to sort of reach yeah. out and say you know, good luck like, to the authors in finding new homes absolutely absolutely and carry on the faith you know and keep keep writing but it is tough so uh let's not pretend but um you know that's sad news this week Right, well, on that basis, let's get to our interview with Kat Yaff. And um, we met Kaf, uh, Kat Kaff, um, at uh, Crime Fest for the first time. We'd, we'd already been in touch quite a bit. Um, we have a little sort of group on Discord of indie, indie writers and publishers, and uh, we've been chatting there. And it was really great to meet her. And she was emerging from chemo yes. at that point. And had, when we spoke to her, uh, a week or so ago, um, you know, things were looking very optimistic mm. in terms of you know her health. And what time we saw her at uh, at Harrogate, she was still suffering from the impact of chemo and radiotherapy for uh, breast cancer, and um, you know her hair was returning. Yes, and, and that, you know, and she, it was a really big thing for her to go to Harrogate, and it was great to see her. Um, and as she'll t- tell us in this interview, she had some really good news on that front. But this interview is about. Her work in the creative arts as a marketer, marketer as well. She had her own marketing company and now as a writer. And, um, you know, there's so much to take from this. Yes, we She do. speaks a lot of sound sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's speak to Kat Yaff. What a great pleasure it is to speak to Kat Yaff from your shed. Hello. <laughs> is it a writer's shed? It's called the Shed of Words. Ooh. It has its own plaque and everything. It's brilliant. <gasps> it has a plaque. That is quite cool. I know if you were showing this on camera, but I'll show you to it. There you go. It really does. It has a plaque yeah. and it says Shed of Words. That's it's really brilliant. fancy. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. She's quite we old. Shed of Words. I, unfortunately, we, we don't stretch that here, but um, okay. I've now got a little space, which is next to my studio um, with a blank wall and a picture of Clive James. Uh, yes. propped against it and you are in the kitchen still I'm always I've always been in the kitchen I have to be in the middle of everything because people come in asking um can I have a cup of tea where's a I don't know cat um <laughs> I can't find my rugby kit so I've got to be available <laughs> yeah true enough well thank you for joining us and um, we're going to talk about a number of things yes. um you've had an, an you know really interesting career as well leading up to this point where you're now a fiction writer but let's talk about your fiction and we're all very excited because book three of the series is coming out soon tell us about tell us about tell us about your series it's not coming out right now so you don't need to be scared (laughs) honestly you've no idea how excited i've i've affectionately referred to this book as the book that refused to write itself 
and it it has been written in um hospital corridors i literally had a nurse pumping chemotherapy into the back of my hand while she was asking when the next book was coming out um it's not out until march because i want to give a, a a good shot at getting at that coveted number one spot and i've forgotten your question adrian <laughs> Well, I'm um, just, 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 just real, I think. yeah, and well, yeah, <laughs> partly that, and and how it it sort of take us through your series in the sense of, um, you know, with book three coming out, where things have, have developed. Okay, so it, I never intended to write a series, and I never intended to write a police procedural. And in fact, when I first started with the first book, it was never even going to be a crime thriller. It was a row like a airy fairy romantic fluffy thing. <laughs> But I'm a bit addicted to true crime podcasts. I watch true crime continuously. Um, and as I was writing it, I, was, I bored myself. I was like, oh, my God. And then she kisses it. Oh, no. I'm having that. Um, and it took a bit of a dark turn. So, um, and then, of course, the neurons are firing off left, right and centre. And, oh, can you do this? And how does that happen? When, do, and when can you do this? So it turned into a crime thriller and... As I was writing it, a character in that book, the DI, uh, Ziggy Thorns, kind of just said, I, I, I've got more to tell, I've got more stories for you. So the second book came around and I wrote it in six weeks, sent it to my amazing editor, who's Rebecca Miller. Um, mm. And when I got it back, I didn't like it, so I binned it. So I rewrote it, I rewrote it completely. It took me, it took a bit more time, it took me three months, and it went a little bit darker as a serial killer involved. Um, and then once I'd done that, I kind of thought, what is it you enjoy about writing crime thrillers? And it's actually it is the police side of it. It's the thinking how a criminal killer, a murderer works, and then how does that feed into like the the police side of it as well so had some great conversations with graham bartlett mm-hmm. um police advisor i think everybody knows him yes. um, and yeah so it developed from there so i've called the first three books a series although ziggy appears in all three the first one is more more kate's story and it's more of a, you can read that as a standalone but the second and the third are meant to be read kind of together but mm-hmm. I'm going to put them out as a box set they're called Tangled Web and the overriding arc for those is um how well do you know those around you and can you can you truly ever trust anybody even your closest friend or your partner um so I kind of I feel that each book has explored that theme and then I'm now moving on um, um well book four which is coming out next year um yeah, we'll be part of a new series, but we'll have the same characters if that makes sense. Yeah, so and a, a new arc, um, you know, thematically it'll be different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, well, that's that's. I mean, that's an interesting prospect, isn't it? In the sense that you can look at your characters afresh through yeah. that that new you know paradigm, really. Yeah, that's it, and I, I think the more. I, I feel that with each book, I'm kind of perfecting my craft. And it's, I feel I'm feeling more confident with where I can take the characters and where I can push the storyline. I mean, in book three, when we deceive, which is out in March, I really take Ziggy to the edge of what his character can and can't do and what he can get away with. Um, 
and one of the when I when I sent it across to Rebecca, one of the things was, have I gone too far? Is there too much? Have I pushed him too far? Like, would a normal person just crack under this amount of pressure? Um, so I'm waiting to see what her feedback on that. But I have to say, the husband has read it, and he said it was good. Ah, oh, that's good. Does he read everything you write then? He's the first one to read it as soon as I finished it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, you, you, it's funny you mentioned Rebecca because Rebecca Miller we're talking about. Um, a great name. Well, it, yeah, the Miller <laughs> bit. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with it. Um, Rebecca has worked with Simon McCleave as well yes, on, on the yeah, first yeah. year of his uh, Snowdonia series. And, um, you know, she has a, a fantastic reputation. So how how is it? I mean, I, we always ask authors this. But how do you react when you get your notes back from your editor? Well, many years ago, I did get a, a, a two-book publishing deal with the Big Five, and one of the Big Five, rather, and I sent it off to the editor when it came back. Um, there was so much red pen. I threw it, put it in a drawer and never saw it again. So I explained this to Rebecca, and I said, look, it turns out I'm a bit sensitive. Um, and she... It was very gentle with me, and when it came back, when the second book came back, I took everything that she'd said on board and realised that actually I don't have to take every piece of advice that she gives me. Um, But Rebecca is so clever, and she's so good at what she does that it wasn't offensive. It was like, all right, okay, yeah, I see where that kind of that character can go. Yeah, absolutely. And even um, so, we're doing a developmental edit on this one because it was written so disjointed. I just felt I needed that extra input. But even with a copy edit, she's still so detailed um, that it was a joy. Actually, it was something that I was absolutely dreading turned into be something really enjoyable. And that that was like a completely unexpected. I, I thought I would just crawl under a desk, drink gin, and never appear again. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's how it should be, shouldn't it? Because I mean, one thing I was taught to, um, to be an editor is to just always be kind and remember that you know the people, the authors are sensitive about their work because it's your baby. You've nurtured it. You've you know you've developed it. You've grown it. And then somebody comes in and says, "You can't say that." <laughs> <laughs> of course you're going to be upset <laughs> yeah and but there, there was nice little things in the in the margins as well that just, I love this bit yeah this is this is brilliant keep this up and, and it was just like little motivational flags as mm-hmm. I was through the copy which helped massively I'm, I I never knew I was sensitive I thought it was quite tough old Yorkshire bird but apparently <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> well, it, it is it is so close to you when you're writing something and um you know, we've been doing some editing this last week or two, and it is difficult um, to find the right balance of passing on what needs to be said mm. in terms of uh, improving storytelling or delivering the ambition of the book, um, which, you know, let's be honest, not every scene is going to work uh, where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every character is going to be consistent with how you've set them up. And, you know, there are going to be alarm bells ringing and, and there'll be bits which perhaps take you out of the story because they're just not um, perhaps yeah. in the right place or expressed, you know, clearly enough, that kind of stuff. It is really, really difficult to find the balance. But then even when he reads my blurbs and he changes things, I have to stop myself from thinking, huh. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. 
I think as well, I took it as a huge learning point. So one of the things yeah. that was just up, that came up again was head hopping. Mm. And I had no idea that that was a thing or that I was so prolific at it. So it was as I'm writing the third book, I'm, as I'm writing it, I'm actually thinking, oh, wait a second, you're head hopping. You know, and and again, and the, the showing, not telling, and the, you know, simple stuff that you probably learn in school, but at fifty-one, I've completely forgotten. Um, and that's what I mean by learning every time with every book that you write. So hopefully, I mean, Rebecca has got a work cut out for her with book three, but hopefully, as time goes on, there'll be less of that. I think it's an interesting thing you, you mentioned with head hopping, yeah. because it's a thing no one ever talks about. No, you don't learn that at school yeah. at all, and it is a really common error. I yeah, mean, our writers have, have been. Uh, and I must have, I have, I have, a, you know, a growing library because I've added about three or four books <laughs> this week um, on the craft, uh, whether it's crime writing. Bear with you, bear with me. That's my son. Sorry, James. Um, uh, <laughs> um, the you know the fact is that I've got dozens of books on different aspects yeah, of the craft. He does. I mean, but none of them thousands ever of talk about the problem of head hopping. No, then we need to write it. Maybe we do. We do need to write the head I didn't hopping know it was a thing. I didn't and the thing and then once I'd learned what it was, I saw it everywhere. Yes, I every, do now. Yeah. Every, every book I've read, every manuscript I've been sent to review, I'm like, "Oh, head hopping, head hopping." Um and showing not telling as well, but I think that's quite a common one. But um, yes, yeah, so- I think that's a more delicate one actually. Yeah, I yeah. think the head hopping thing. Once you know there's an issue, you see it yeah. as you say everywhere. But with the showing don't tell thing, I mean that is that's a scale. A, that is a, there's a whole load of nuance in there, mm-hmm. you know. And one person's um, telling is another person's showing, and you know, that's so right. that's not so easy. Do you know, I wonder about show and tell, right? Is it because we all um, look at our environment in a different way. Some people may tell it in their head in more detail than other people. So they think that that's how they should write it because yeah. they notice so much about the environment that they think as a writer, well, that's that's how everybody thinks. So that's what I'll put on the paper. I think mine com- comes back to some training. I've, I've worked as a freelance journalist for many years and I think I was very economical with words. So it was just get to the point no flower no messing about nobody's interested just tell me the story tell me what it is I don't want the rest of it um and I think I think it's some of that training really that um influenced how I write um I should probably show more Mm. yeah I think I, I, I share that with you I mean I'm a broadcast journalist so it's slightly different but nonetheless when I started, it was all about the writing, mm. about what, and and indeed in broadcast, actually, you know, um, you often have fewer words than you would in print to, mm. to to work with, and yeah, it is about stripping it back and to the barest essentials. Um, and if you could put a little bit when it was broadcasting, if you could write something that was good for the ear as well, that yeah. that pricked your interest rather than just told you what's happening in front of you in terms of television or whatever. Um, my hands are going all over the shop today. Uh, it, it, it's um, got my hands as well. <laughs> if it, it, it has Im, Im, impacted my writing too, yeah. Actually. Well, I, I would say in terms of blurb writing. So what we we tend to take it in turns to write blurb, yeah. don't we? And then when I write it, 
he you have a way of just saying the same thing in a sentence with half the number of words and i yeah. think oh yeah with all the com- <laughs> with all the commas stripped out yeah <laughs> and that's because of the way you've been taught to write absolutely absolutely it's copywriting i mean you know and it's in its its form you know and and without as you say, the adornment that you would probably put if you were writing an advertorial or something like that. But you've been yeah. working in marketing as well, so you know that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So you had to adjust to, to to what's needed there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, God, working in marketing, you're so aware of kind of SEO and keywords and all that stuff. It's a very different animal altogether, completely from journalism, from fiction writing. It's It's a whole beast of its own. Uh, it but... really is. I mean, I, I have your book here, um, digital marketing. I had I had put it in the um, toilet to read, but made easy. And then you put it, and then you hid it in one of the bookshelves. No, I, I went had... toilet to read. I wanted to read it. I know, but then it it it, it, it somehow managed to land on a bookshelf, and I went had to find it this morning. Anyway, it, you're it one, is. You're one of the good people that bought it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I really enjoyed it, and but the thing was that the more I went into it. The difficulty with the marketing side of it is that, you know, it is its own language and actually understanding what those terms mean in a practical sense is where sometimes personally I struggle. Um, And I always used to struggle with the BBC because the BBC, uh, when I first joined, was purely a broadcasting company. Mm. My hand's going again. (laughs) I'm trying to keep it off screen. Um, But online came into uh, our world about five years into my time there mm. and everything changed every all the emphasis on how we did our broadcasting had to be uh, changed so that it appealed to seo uh search engine optimization for those who don't know um and all of the metrics apply in in online never applied in broadcast Mm. i mean this is the thing that you know you can die in the detail and the data there's so much of it oh yeah actually what your book helps to do is to figure out what's important yeah what what you should prioritize in amongst all that data yeah i think that when i was i wrote it actually when um as a free giveaway really it was a, a lead magnet to try a lead magnet is something that you put on the website to get people's email addresses and that was that's what I was trying to do this is maybe four years ago five years mm-hmm. ago and um, when I was still helping small businesses with the digital marketing basically and I did it as I, I launched it as a, a lead magnet and I wanted it to be I think I think I say it in the book you know there was there is so much um wizardry around digital marketing and you can spend thousands upon thousands upon thousands buying into programs and this and other and the actual reality of it is it's hard work it's consistency and it's knowing the sequence of events of how somebody buys something online yes after those three you pretty much say oh but i mean it's interesting because i've been doing um for the last kind of 12 months I've been pretty much out of writing as a business owner but in the last four weeks I've been able to kind of step back into that role so I've been going back over my website I've been building my email funnels and um you know looking at what what else is out there what's changed is there anything that I'm not on top of that I need to be and you know what actually the fundamentals are all still there good website well-written copy, 
and a mm. good automated system in running in the background. And that's all you need. Yeah. And I think often people forget that's the, that third element. You can yeah. find the website. That That's going to be a challenge for a lot of people. The copywriting, again, very difficult mm. if you don't know how to do it or you just, you know, putting those first words down, you, you challenge everything. But once you get the flow, it's fine. Yeah. But the third thing, getting the automations right, is is something that I know we've struggled with and we're still reviewing it and trying to get it sorted out, really. Um, that That feels quite daunting for a lot of people, I think. It can do, but there's, there's there are things out there to help you. I mean, my book, um, but something right. So some so so my goal this year has been to build my mailing list because when I launched book two, my highest amount of sales came from my mailing list. So I know that I can tweet, I can Facebook, I can TikTok all I want, but I know my sales are going to come from my email list. I think at the time I only had maybe 500 people on there. And I think it was it was over a 50% conversion rate. So 250 people, for example, bought that book. Wow, that's very good. So imagine if that list was a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand. So that that's my goal. I know that's where my sales are going to come from. Yeah. So this year, I've really well. When I've had time, I've really focused and like for the last end of this until the March when my book comes out. That's going to be my goal. Mm. I have time to sit and email everybody every day that signs up to my list. So I use Mailerlite because it's cheap, but it's functional. I have a landing page, which is a single page website with one image, and it has one job to get somebody's email address. That's it. There's no social links. There's no about us. There's no contact me, nothing. It's just a simple page with a book cover, some blurb, and at the bottom, give me your email address and get a free book. Once people sign up, they then get taken to Story Origin, which is where they can download the free ebook from. Yeah. Two days later, they get an automated email, which I've re- pre-written and set in the automated flow system within MailerLite. So it automatically triggers after two days to say, did you get your book? If you didn't, here's a reminder. By the way, this is who I am. Yeah. I think it's about a week- you don't have any reminders about, by the way, this is who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Extra guest on the podcast Thank you. this week. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> anyway, switched on. Um, so yeah, so so that's and then I think it's about maybe uh, a, a week, ten days after that. There's a little bit more about me, how you can connect with me on social. I don't sell anything at this point. I give more stuff away. What I'm trying yeah. to do is tell people that they need me in their inbox, and that I am super grateful that you are allowing me into your inbox every week, month, whatever it's going to be, and then. Once they've had time, or I consider they've had time to read the book, I'll ask if they've got time to leave me a review on Goodreads. And that's where the majority of my reviews come from as well. Right. Um, Once they've gone through that welcome sequence of about four emails, they then drop into my main. So again, automated thing. They go from new sign-up group into Catherine Yaff author group, and they, they become part of my monthly newsletter. 
if they unsubscribe, fine, I don't want you. But <laughs> <laughs> if you're not interested in me, that's fine because I only want people that are going to interact with me. And that's one of the big things in my emails as well is that I'm here. You can email me, email in my direction, not emailing a robot. I will answer you straight away if I can. And I get some lovely emails from people. Yeah. Um, so it's so for me, it's about building that relationship and having the automated sequence working for me whilst I'm busy writing or promoting is the biggest conversion tool I have in my arsenal. Mm-hmm. And, I know that, and I've just sent out for um, my review team, like way in advance, because I want to be a bit more organized this time. I've got so many people have signed up. I'm running a little promo on that as well. But all these people will then, although they're here for the review team, they'll then drop over into my main mailing list. So I've gone from maybe 500 at the start of this year to 5,000 by the end of it, simply by providing things for free or for having conversations. And it's all whilst I'm off writing or doing other things. That's brilliant. And if you do get that 50% hit rate next book, <laughs> then you days, are yeah. then yeah. you're heading towards number one, which is what your, your target is. So, yeah, that does work. Yeah, I mean, that's, but, I mean that's it's, but it's, it, you know, again, it, it's it go back to what I said. It's hard work. It's consistency. And it's letting using the automated system that's there. And it's so easy. It's so easy. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to nudge each other. I was just about, I was sitting here. I'm thinking we need to look at what we have in our automated system and just yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. a lot of detail. You say I think I think this is and one. I think of... what you're saying is get rid of all that detail. Well, I, I think it's an interesting stage we're at, which is you know you do your first you know the website it got us our authors and all yeah. of that sort of thing and that was what it was designed to do. But what it doesn't do now so much is really speak to our readers a bit more than it did but it's Mm. still not angled for the readership Mm. as much as it was to uh put us out there to 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 capture the wonderful authors that we that you know not capture that's the wrong word but you know what (laughs) i mean i'm using i'm using seo speak Um, bang bang no yeah i'm the child catcher yeah the author catcher (laughs) lollipops pops. um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Hobek Badger. <laughs> now we've really gone down a <laughs> we've gone down the rabbit hole. But you know, it does remind us that I mean actually we are going through a sort of um it seems to be a glacial process because the fact is when you start, you can do this all afresh and then you hit the hit button when you're ready. But yeah. when you're already going and yeah. everything else is going on around, to actually make all those adjustments. Like you're finding probably when you're yeah. you're refreshing your website at the moment, finding the time and the clarity to yeah. be able to do that is much much harder, and that's certainly what we're finding because we're doing the day to day as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm only able to do this now because I'm waiting for my edits back from Rebecca. I mean, when they come back, I'm hoping all of the background admin stuff will be done so I can then get the edits done and move on uh, and start writing book four I I do sometimes wonder how I mean I'm fortunate that I understand the digital marketing I've been doing it for about 15 years Mm. so we were very early adopters when we had our digital agency but I I do sometimes sit and wonder if you haven't got that knowledge and you're an independent author how in god's name you would start it I, I don't know which is 
why I said to you, Adrian, I'm thinking of rewriting that book geared towards authors. But I don't know. Yeah, I think there's 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 a need for. I mean, there are lots of people out there purporting to give you the magic solution, the magic yeah. bullet. I mean, it's the same in everything. I mean, I, just this morning I was looking uh, from an audio point of view, and I'm thinking I've got new software uh, which I need to master. And then there's somebody pops up on my, I don't know, Instagram saying, you know, sign up for this course, three hundred dollars, and you'll be a master of Studio in One Dr. editing Who. software. No, not the master. Um, but, you know, it, sorry, I'm mean, the master. You did sound like the master. Or I should say master. I don't know. Anyway, um, the, the, you know, the fact is there are plenty of people out there with the same thing, which is, you know, offering a course for every solution and making money from that. But, you know, trying to sort through which ones work mm. or elements of which work yeah. and trying uh, and finding your own path is really hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And I think with... Um, digital marketing made easy the idea behind it was that it would help a small business because it was geared to small business owners it, you know I knew a big conglomerate was never going to buy it um, it was for small business owners and it was a starting point it was something that I hadn't been able to find for actually for one of my clients because um, they said I just want something I can say that's on my desk that I can say right step one is an email is this is an email provider an email provider is somebody that where your emails are stored uh, you know and that, that can just take it through step by step and I looked everywhere for it and I couldn't find it so I thought right sod it I'll write you then <laughs> so you do. Well, yeah, that's how some of the best books have come about though isn't it when the, yeah, the person the thinks needs, yeah there's a need I need it I'll write it then so. yeah. <laughs> um and that but uh, along with the the book and then on the back of that there were uh, probably still are somewhere I did a lot of courses and online training and things like that so if you look on YouTube I think I've got some YouTube videos up there mm. through the process as well have you seen them Adrian yes I have one or two oh, yeah. God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um I should probably take them down um but yeah there was a there was like a whole business around it yeah no no absolutely now I mean when we first met you at Bristol Crime Fest, yeah. um, that was uh, just a few months ago. It was at the point where you were emerging from the other side of breast cancer, yes. if that's the right way to describe it. Is that fair? Yeah, 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 that's fair. I was actually still having treatment. Right, right. Yeah, still having radiotherapy at that point. Um, right. And and clearly this is, I mean, you know, I mean, stating the obvious, um, a major thing that you've overcome and a major turning point in your life so how much has that changed your approach to to what you do and how you do it oh massively absolutely massively I mean first of all the amount of love and messages I've had from the writing community is unbelievable I I mean and when I saw you in Harrogate as well it was just so emotional for me because it was like Mm me being brave enough to step out into the world. I didn't have very much hair. I was still bloated from all the steroids, particularly at Bristol. Um, And it changes your perspective on things. I think I've always been quite a determined person anyway and a bit stubborn. Um, But like this week I've been looking at, right, okay, so how can I improve my business, my author business? 
and I want to do more live events. I want to get out and meet people and meet readers and things like that. And I've thought, oh, you know, it means contacting shops and libraries and things like that. Woman, you've just beaten cancer. You can ring a bloody librarian for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's that stop playing small. What is wrong with you? You've been given a lease of life that you didn't think you would have. Go for it. And yeah. it's all the fear has gone. There's, you know, there's still a bit of trepidation, but there's all the, wow, if I can do that, if I can survive this last 12 months, there is no stopping me now. That's interesting because, I mean, when we first met, certainly at Bristol, and I think that at Harrogate as well, I mean, that, that sense of you emerging back into the world was really significant for you. We, we felt that as we met you. And you talk about quite a few times, I mean, I've seen you talk about how, you know, going out in the world, uh, you, you you were rebuilding your confidence. Yeah. And, you know, this was, a, you know, the, the you of, of prior to cancer would have, not better than I did probably in that environment, but but just somehow the impact of the physical impact and the emotional impact that you've gone through and the, the hair, the whole thing was really tough for you. And and we felt that. Yeah. I mean, it, during that, I mean, it was it was a really, really difficult time in the space of three weeks. My, my, my dad had come home from hospital for end of life care for heart failure the two days after he came on, my mum had a stroke and was diagnosed with dementia. And a week after that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So in the space of three weeks, the family was hit, bang, bang, bang. Well, I'd moved in with my mum and dad before my cancer diagnosis to care for my dad. Mm. Um, my mum didn't really understand what was going on with her because of the dementia. Yeah. Um, and it was, and then my son was getting married <laughs> <laughs> at the end of that week so we were all I was trying to keep it all light and thing and inside I'm absolutely dying so we so over the space of 12 months well we, we lost dad in December and I moved mum moved into a care home in February so it's been a really tough emotional time for me and a lot of change and I think when I went to when I finished the chemotherapy and I saw the tickets for crime fest in Bristol I was like I'm going I do not mm-hmm. care what stage of treatment I'm at. I am going. If I have to drag an IV, a drip with me, I don't care. I'm going. Um, and the husband was like, we're okay. Knew better than to. <laughs> it sounds like you weren't going to be argued with anyway. <laughs> and he was like, is there any point in me telling you to take it easy? I was like, no, I'm going. Um, and it wasn't until I'd, I'd actually checked into my hotel room and I sat there and I cried and I was like, I've got no hair. I'm bloated from the steroids, nothing fits me. I think at that point I could only get into leggings. I felt fat, horrible. And and I was still very heavily bandaged and things. Mm. The courage it took for me to walk down those stairs, and it was actually Stephen Edgar, Steph, who was in the bar, Mm. kind of walked in looking like this frightened mouse. And he was, you know, he just kind of said, Are you here for Crime Fest? And I was like, yeah, anyway, come see me then. Oh, it was just a massive sigh of relief because I was with my own people. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. And just after that, it was that first thing. And then um, I kind of found my groove a little bit. And then the crown and glory was Harrogate because, again, it was just, I knew I'd be meeting with people that I'd met at Bristol, but I'd be meeting mm-hmm. some more people and I'd been much more active on social media as well. Mm-hmm. That gave me just that little bit more confidence and um, 
yeah, it was just like big girl pants on, go out, smash it. You're gonna meet <laughs> people. You know, from Bristol, they're nice, and I was worried people would be standoffish, and mm. it wasn't that all the love and the warmth. And the first person I saw was Donna, Donna Morfitt. Mm. Just threw her arms around me and went, "Oh, cat!" I was like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, it was, it oh, was lovely, Donna. <laughs> Yeah, and it was it, everybody was just so welcoming, and um, it just reaffirmed to me that I'm I'm doing I'm absolutely in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, that's it's so important. I think you know we we always approach these things, even though we're going as a double act, which makes it a lot easier. We're With some terrified. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely terrified, and it is always that very first person who sort of catches your eye and says hi who are you or whatever and and makes you welcome makes all the difference well, a good example is the showroom fatal mm, showroom yeah. we went to recently yeah. in the morning in the car he said to me oh i don't want to do this i mean i'll just we're not going to do any podcasting we just can't do this we can't approach people i, I catastrophize every time every time you go to an event i'm always yeah. like that and, I, and i'm used to it so i just say to him <laughs> okay if we don't do it it's fine we, we, we're just going along anyway we're going to have a good day it doesn't matter whether we do a podcast or not do we always do interview people but you have to go through that that yeah. sort of it's sometimes well, you just have to take that pressure off yourself i think yeah expectation of yourself until you feel comfortable mm. yeah it's permission to fail we were very lucky because yeah, we arrived and pretty much almost immediately you know we were approached by greg moss Kate and donna moss. as well actually and donna <laughs> donna was there so that makes makes life you know and everyone everyone you know, it's amazing, and we'll say this for Donna. And we're sorry to for your loss this week, lost her, yeah, her grand, granddad, her died, grandfather. But um, you know, Donna is is the heart and soul of the whole crime community. I think, and and I think it's wonderful to see how many authors, these big names, recognise that and make a beeline and she to her. Says to me, because she'll say to me, so and so came up to me, and he said, "You're Donna, aren't you?" She can't understand that they know her, and I say, well, "Of course, they know you, Donna. Everyone knows you because you are such a." positive light in the you know the crime fiction well you, you she's she gives out she gives to everybody everybody gets an opportunity to to tell their story regardless of whether they're the biggest names or or or, or new yeah she treats everybody the, the same absolutely yeah. and 100%. you know you you can't fault that passion can you no not at all and we we were in um we went to bloody Scotland and she was, she, again, she was one of the first people I saw and that smile. I mean, she just beams. Um, and I was doing the talking bit. I got one of the spotlights and I was terrified and she just made me feel so important, you know? And I just thought I can, I, do you know what? I think I actually can do this. Yeah. Uh, and that's just how she makes you feel. I absolutely, I loved on her. I loved on yeah no I think the, the, I think the, the community is full of people like that once you get to know them and but it's still intimidating going to these things yeah. but in terms of you know um what you've gone through which is absolutely hellish as you've described I mean just unimaginable to to to, to many of us um how does that impact on your writing in terms of your insight for character and you know when we're dealing with crime, we're dealing with human frailties, but also human, you know, avarice and all that stuff that goes in mixed in, you know, greed, whatever it might be. What has it given to you? Um, you know, your understanding of the human condition, if you like, it's a bit tossy, but you know what I mean? It's, I'm trying to get, you know, not trying to turn into front row here on radio four, but um, 
what's it given to you as an author? I think it's given me a depth that I probably didn't have before. And I think it's... Uh, so my dad and I were very close and he is the one that got me into crime fiction way, way younger than I ever should have been introduced to it, really, um, with the Zodiac Killer. And we loved a good serial killer, me and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when... When I was writing this book, part of the time, I would sit with my dad on a night and he would say, don't write one of them books where it's really obvious what's going to happen with Catherine. It's only every person that calls me Catherine, everybody else calls me Cat. Um, <laughs> and I'd say to him, I'd give him, like, I gave him like the, the brief outline and he'd just go, no, 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 this needs to happen, this needs to happen. So as I've been writing this one, I've felt my dad's voice in my head kind of going over um no too obvious no cliched um but I think also a little bit of that hum uh the humbleness I would say of my dad has has bled into the story through Ziggy's character in some ways um and I've tried to I think maybe unknowingly not consciously there's more elements of my dad in Ziggy than I originally intended in that I, I pushed him to his extremes but he is a good dad mm. and he looks after his son and his son comes first and I think possibly I've mimicked my relationship with my dad in that I love that. I love that too. Yeah. And I, I'm just it thinking. Make me feel all I'm, I'm, I'm just transporting myself into your into your world, if you like, when you're writing. How does that feel when your dad's voice is? I love in it. Your head? So comforting. I love it. Mm. Um, I have. Um, I'm, very, I'm. I'm very blessed to have the best dad. Don't care what anybody says. My dad were always best, um, and. I can feel his arms around me when I'm writing and it's because of him I've got the shed because um, there was a garage here originally it was full of asbestos so it needed to come down yeah. and I, I was self-employed and I said to my dad I'd, I'd really like a, a, a shed instead of a, a garage and he was like what do you mean so I took him out to this place and he was looking and he was like mm. it was a very man of few words but it was mm, mm, we'll see Anyway, two days later, I got a phone call. Um, we're having a shed delivered, um, so I can feel them in every eve, in every every piece of wood that's in this place. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's very comforting, mm. very comforting, and also very challenging because you know I want a character to do something, and I can hear this little voice going, "Nope." <laughs> He's still advising you, saying, "No, nope, wouldn't do that." <laughs> Yeah, it's not Graham Bartlett's voice or something going in there. Yeah, even <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, true, true. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I'm in the crime sphere, and I've been thinking a lot about this in the last fortnight about what makes a great crime book. And of course, all these elements of you know surprise and twists and all that stuff is is important, of course, and avoiding cliche and and keeping it. You know, it doesn't have to be real. I mean, it can be complete fantasy in terms of the escapades that people get involved in, if it's particularly if it's a thriller. But what I think I think now, which I probably didn't really understand a couple of years ago when we set up the company, 
is just how important it is to get those characters to be human. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really human. Yeah. I mean, not not just, yeah, oh, let's give them a drink problem and a broken marriage. Yeah. And, that, and that'll do for the backstory. Yeah. But really, you know, in everything they do, they've got to be relatable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things with Ziggy is because I didn't set out to write a series, he's kind of developed as my writing has developed. And as I go into, as I finish book three now, but as I go into book four, five and six, I've got more of an idea of where I want him to go. But one of the things that really helped is I wrote a, uh, I wrote his backstory in full. So rather than just giving it like elements, I wrote it from birth until he joined the police. And it's actually a, um, a free shot story on my website now. It was never yeah. meant to be. But so I've got about his relationship with his parents, with his siblings, his love. He's from Liverpool originally. So his love of Liverpool Football Club, who his mm-hmm. players were when he was little, what position he played in the football team. And everything from how he became an orphan to moving into a foster home to, you know, to him meeting his first wife. And I, I, I kind of had to do that. I think it was Stephen King that says you need to put some meat on the bones. So I, I had the bones of Ziggy and by writing that backstory in full, it gave me the meat. And, it, it, you know, in my head now, I can see him as a full fledged person and mm. a relationship with his son, but also with his ex-wife. And I, I, I think there's this miss. I don't maybe I don't I don't know how this is going to come out, but um, I think there's this misapprehension that 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 men maybe when they split up don't give their kids as much time as they should do, or they're arguing with their you know they're bitter with their ex wife, and I don't want that. That's not who Ziggy is. Ziggy remains you know he's a friendly guy. He's a nice guy. You'd want him around your dinner table. Um, so I made sure he's got a good relationship with with his wife Rachel. His son Ben comes up you know first and foremost in everything that he does um and I think just by bringing that human element into it well I I know some of the reviews had said you know it was refreshing to see a male lead who actually had that human touch to to him that showed not 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 embarrassed or ashamed to show his emotion you know and to say to his team I'm having a bad day you know I just not with it today, guys. I, you know, I need you to be firing all cylinders because I'm not, you know, and it'd be okay to do that. That's a really good point you raised because, I mean, you know, now I'm sort of feeling the echoes of my own story in the sense that, you know, Rebecca and I got together from our two marriages and uh, five kids between us. And I'm thinking, you know, (laughs) probably not a good example of me putting my son first when he phoned and I (laughs) killed the call. (laughs) But it's true. I do. And actually, my relationship, my relationship with him is so much <laughs> my relationship is so much stronger, I think, bizarrely, through the you know, not being in each other's pockets every day. Because he doesn't see the moody me. Well, both of them, both of them, your relationship's yeah, got really strong, I think. It's improved. It's improved because I think distance has, has made us both reflect all of us reflect on on the value and they, that we bring to each other. And you know admittedly uh most of the time i see my son james it will be to do something fun talk about wrestling talk about wrestling for hours yes 
but you know my my husband mark has got two girls amelia and jemima they're jemima's 13 today amelia's 16 mark and i've been together for um 12 years and we have a great relationship but mark is has the most enviable relationship with his daughters they will they they are so close and they will talk to him about anything and I've got a similar relationship with my son and I just think we don't hear about that often enough no we don't no no we always hear the the bitter side you never hear the positive side yeah and I just for, for me that was I wanted it to I wanted my books to reflect that I mean in the first one in the lie she told Kate's relationship with her son Joe is very much my, my relationship with my son Daniel again didn't realize it until I think it was my cousin in Scotland read it and went that's you and Daniel and I was like no it isn't and I went back <laughs> and I was like oh it, into the point where she calls him sunshine which is what I call Daniel it's like oh yeah yeah damn it is <laughs> <laughs> We're, just, uh, we're, it's a, but it's that human element that you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Listen, we we ought to get to Rebecca's random question shortly, but oh, yes. <laughs> I, I want to ask you a question about the year to come, so twenty twenty three. Yes, given that you know, in a sense, you can look forward to it now. Oh I mean, yeah, the worst is behind you. We hope. <laughs> Obviously, we no, is I got the all clear last Friday. Um, uh, the the first post treatment mammogram. There was a few dodgy weeks where there was something but it turns out that it's nothing and last friday i got told that i'm all clear oh well that's fantastic congratulations <laughs> that's brilliant that's absolutely brilliant so now you can oh, look at 2023 oh. apart from the recession the, COVID, the, the ukraine war the the government in tatters the yeah, whole that's lot all macro stuff though, but all the it? macro stuff but in terms of you now looking forward to obviously You've you mentioned one book coming out in March. Yeah. Another one, book four, you're writing at the moment, which potentially yeah. comes out next year too. Yeah. Um, what do you want to achieve? I mean, in terms of things you want to do next year, apart from those two things. I want to have fun. Overriding, I want to have fun and in everything that I do. Um, a book coming out in March. I've got a little... I'll keep looking over there because I've got so many events written down so I've got sales <laughs> in March crime fest in May UK book uh, crime book club in June uh we've got Harrogate again in July yeah I am doing absolutely everything everything um yeah so we've got a book coming out at the end of March hopefully book four by the end of May and book five the beginning of October so I want three books to come out next year amazing and I want that number one spot. <laughs> well, let's hope that the Hobcast book show is, is one of the ways you got there. <laughs> right, darling. Um, um, it is time for your, your, your oh, magic yeah. moment. And I'm going to give it the big build up as usual. Rebecca's random question. After this podcast, a bunch of aliens. <laughs> Great start. From <laughs> your house. And they say to you, you can only eat one meal every night for the rest of your life. <gasps> what would you eat and why? This is going to be really poncy. Should I go for that? Well, I'll go for my first choice. Will be bully base. Bully base. Yeah. Oh. So, so it's a, it's a, it's like a fish soup. Mm. Is it? Mm-hmm. Private and um, you get little croutons that you float in it, and then you sprinkle cheese on top, and you yeah. let them get all soggy, and then you get a spoon, 
all your fingers and just eat it like an absolute animal and it's my favorite dish and we were in France in the summer and it's the first time I've had it in years oh, melt water in now um the first time I've had it in years it would be I would have booby base yeah I and, think and the do, aliens would let you do that. in terms of your booby base <laughs> right now I've had it where I've had the chunks of fish in it and you know it's almost been a fish pie almost when yeah, you put yeah, yeah, all the yeah. stuff on top or do you have it you know filtered and nice and smooth i mean how do you prefer it no 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 give me those chunks yeah <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we went um we used to go to the south of france quite a lot when i was a kid and it was, again my dad that introduced me to it and there's a, there's a picture of me somewhere sat in this restaurant and my mum had dressed me up in all these lovely little girly things. I really wasn't very girly. And I've got my sleeves pushed right up past my elbow. I've got my hands in the soup and I've got juice running down my chin. <laughs> and there's this big, like, because it gets served in like a... a, a oh, yeah. Boat. Like, yeah, like a like a, a China boat. Not a China boat, but you know what I mean? Like a bottle. Yeah, yeah. Almost a cauldron, like isn't cauldron, it? cauldron, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and th- like this cauldron is bigger than my head. And you can just see me on the other side of it. it yeah. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. What awesome. would yours be? God, like, you know, you, you asked me there. Well, I mean, uh, I suppose if I had a really perfect bacon sarni every night for tea, tea, I'd be fine with that with a bit of avocado in it. Um, oh, no. Sh- no, because I, I used to have, no, the, I'll tell you what, there's a sandwich that I used to get in Chichester. And yeah. Uh, love you know when I worked in Chichester I had my little office and uh, it was in uh, a tiny sort of like arcade um, modern arcade and one end of it was a deli and they used to serve this thing called the chicken licking with perfect bread perfect avocado crispy bacon and chicken and it was amazing but it, and it was had lemon mayonnaise and oh. it didn't always as you'd probably think oh god horrible but I I could eat I would eat one of those every day with just the same gusto and passion every time i'm sure if the aliens storm our house that's your choice yes mine Um, is pickled cabbage with chunks of cheese on top okay (laughs) why yeah why cabbage i would eat pickled cabbage every day and i love cheese (laughs) each to their own yeah you must come for dinner yeah i have been i've been cooking proper meals tom carriage recipe oh yeah yeah i've been liking them so no, they've been amazing fun. it's been an amazing week of uh of, of, uh, an, up, uh, an uptick in in our, our nightly well, meals but this went on record yesterday i heard the husband sometimes works in the shed with me and yesterday i heard him say to one of his colleagues i am sick to death of takeaways because that's all we've had for last week (laughs) (laughs) oh we'll go to people's houses or we'll just you know we've got we've left the microwave set up we can microwave think oh no we are chinese indian (laughs) 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 at mcdonald's but (laughs) yeah we've had well we do that once a week or so we go to you know we have done in the past mcdonald's monday mcdonald's so. monday yeah because, followed by university challenge and it's not because of the, it's not because of the food it's because we can because we'll get the kids together after their first day at school we'll all be sat in the car eating yeah and it's just brilliant for having a com- proper relaxed conversation but you even can't achieve them around the dinner table for some reason but oh i don't know we talk about all sorts of weird well, it depends. Stuff some days they're very quiet but when we're doing mcdonald's monday it all comes out and it's just 
that's brilliant. And you're watching the window steam up as your chips on the dashboard. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's a little bit too much of us. Uh, Kat, where can people find you online? So, yeah, website, katherineyaff.co.uk. Um, Yaff's with a silent E. Um, and, yeah, pretty much everywhere, social media, uh, Facebook, Catherine Yaff author, TikTok. I think I'm crime writer, Catherine Yaff on there. Um, but everything's on my website. And um, I've just launched a new feature on there as well, if I could just give that a little plug. Of course. Um, so it's Feet Up Friday. I interview a different author every Friday. I used to have a podcast myself, but I, I just don't have time to do it now. So it's just uh, a little blog post, five minutes, put your feet up, grab a biscuit, grab a brew. Um, we've got uh, AJ, Amanda Campbell on there. We've got Tony Millington, Neil Bromage is coming up uh, and a whole load of others. So yeah, if you check out katherineyaff.co.uk and the blog, it's Feet Up Friday. Fantastic. Well, oh, we'll, we'll check it out on Friday. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real oh, pleasure. And, and um, yeah, uh, thank you for putting up with all my very, very intrusive questions. No, they were very good. And my, my weird pickle cabbage. Yeah, yeah we weird. can't forgive that. That was weird. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> thank you. Well, what can you say? What a great way to finish an interview with that revelation that yeah. she's had the all clear i know so we've gone from quite sad news earlier on and now um much good good news for somebody so it's not all bad no it isn't <laughs> it isn't honestly you know we try not to be too uh, maudlin and uh and downbeat on this show just but we have always promised that it would be what's and all and that's what it is and uh let's uh let's talk about something a little lighter yes yeah, so there's also news i like to talk about Absolutely. It's still publishing news. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just trying to find it now. So we, what we might just talk about is what we're going to be doing this week. And, of course, we are launching a book. So let's talk about that first, and I'll get the right story up. Yeah, so we're very excited to be publishing uh, Maureen Mayant's uh, debut crime novel, which is um, The Confession, publishing tomorrow after this podcast goes out. And there's also a launch in Glasgow on Friday, which we... We weren't sure whether we'd be able to go to, but we have worked out a way to go. So we're going to be there in Glasgow at the Gallery Bookshop. Yeah, fantastic. So that's uh, 7 o'clock Friday. Yeah, so if if you're in Glasgow and you like books and you like wine, come along and say hi. And so next week, we did promise you Maureen this week, but actually we're going to do an on-location hobcast next week yeah so we, we sort of yomping yeah. around lo- glasgow locations <laughs> and so a, like, a little bit from the book launch as well yeah absolutely so we'll bring you all of the the, the spirit of that and we'll bring the program from scotland next week which we're really excited about so the, the little news story is always amusing we did this last year and there is an award for the oddest book titles and <laughs> uh, that book that uh, award actually they don't get any sort of prize uh, no, it's it's just for fun, really, isn't it? They don't get a prize, but I'm sure it does help sales, you know. I dare say it does. It's called the Diagram Prize, and this year's nominees, last year's winner, um, just to give you a sort of feel for... Do you know, I nearly bought it. It's <laughs> Superman Circumcised, yes. which was a look at the Jewish origins of the Mensch of Steel, uh, which was uh, got 51% of the vote last year. This year's list for the Diagram Award for the weirdest book titles are as follows frankenstein was a vegetarian essays on food choice identity and symbolism by michael owen jones published by the university press of mississippi (laughs) the many lives of scary clowns essays on pennywise twisty the joker crusty and more 
by Ron Riecki, and that's published by McFarland and Co. Jane Austen and the Buddha, <laughs> Teachers of Enlightenment by Catherine Duncan, also McFarland and Co. Oh, they're, oh, they're, they're good at their weird books. And they've got <laughs> another one. They've got another nominee. Rue Pedagogies of Realness, Essays on Teaching and Learning with RuPaul's Drag Race by <laughs> Lindsay Bride and Tommy Mabry by McFarland and Co. again. And uh, Smuggling Jesus Back into the Church by Andrew Fellows. And finally, What Nudism Exposes, An Unconventional History of Postwar Canada by Mary Ann Shantz. Now that's the one I'm most intrigued by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And they're all, I mean, you know. So you're telling me then that the attack of the purring zombies is not in the list? Yeah, the Geiger Cat Adventure. That yeah, you, you, the first saga of the Geiger Cat Adventures. That's just some of you who followed the podcast closely will know that that's what we uh, put out there on April the first this year as a potential Hoback title. But having reread the blurb that you wrote, I wrote some brilliant blurb for that book. Yeah, you did. Uh, I have to say, I want to read that book. Well. Now. So we've been talking about Kindle Valor quite a lot. And Kindle Valor is a platform that's available in the US, isn't it? Yes. Where you can uh, publish episodic um, non-fiction and fiction, anything. Um, And you can earn money through people reading your episodic fiction as it goes up. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of doing The Attack of the Purring Zombies on Kindle Valor when we can. Absolutely. Well, horror is very, very important on that. (laughs) Apparently the most popular genres are romance. Erotica, fantasy, and horror. Okay, so maybe I will then. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kindle Vela is not in the UK yet, and um, which is a real shame because it, you know they keep saying that it's going to be there, and, and some of the functionality has appeared on the dashboard. For yeah, KDP. so I got quite excited, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did, you did. But you have to be in the United States to either consume it or write for it. Um, but uh, some people are making good money out of it, and uh, you know it, it, it takes a different approach to the way you think about your marketing and obviously your way you produce your work. And you have to keep, get people hooked in very quickly in essentially three thousand words or so, and uh, and keep them reading. So pull a cliffhanger at the end of each one. Oh, there will be cliffhangers in the Attack of the Purring Zombies. Oh, I dare say. I dare say. Well, that will be Throw exciting. the cats off the cliff, that's what I say. <laughs> well, look, it's been really busy. You've been working on um, cooking the books, which is our Christmas book, which um, you... Makes it sound like I'm doing dodgy accounts. You've put it on pre-sale <laughs> on our website. Yeah, so uh, cooking the books, you can buy, um, you can pre-order the um, cloth hardback from our website. You can order the ebook from Amazon. Uh, sorry, pre-order the ebook from Amazon if you wish. Um, but it's publishing on the 29th of November. So it's only three weeks from now, isn't it? Yep. So we're very excited about that. Yep. You've finished the cover. You've done the, the proofing, the prepping and all yeah, that malarkey, and the typesetting. And all the, um, you know, the official legal stuff with the authors as well. That was actually quite time consuming. It was time consuming. You're absolutely <laughs> right. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And we've got a forward by R.C. Brigstock, which is... Oh, it's every week. Every oh, week, get it wrong. Yes. Bob and Carol. Bob have... and Carol, the lovely Bob and Carol, who've written a very entertaining and um, enlightening Actually, yeah, well. it's a really good forward. Yeah. I have to say, I buy it for that alone. It's I just know, because it's not just, you know, oh, it's an honour to be forwarding this book. No, no, no. Enjoy. No. Well, to be fair, <laughs> our previous forewarders haven't done that either. But no, this, I know. But, but this but... one has, yeah, real insight into it, the it's power a, it's of food a, yes. and the police. So, so um, that's terrific. Uh, and yeah, as I say, we're, we're sort of at the end of the week, we're up in Glasgow. In between times, mega, mega busy. You've just had an enormous car bill. Yeah, uh, so my car is—it's not actually with us right now. Um, I uh, drove it to Stafford, which is about ten miles away. Ten miles away. And as soon as I left the supermarket, it went da dumpf, da dumpf, da dumpf. The front tire was yeah, flat. Yeah. 
So we took it to um, Quick Fit this morning and not just one tyre. All four needed changing and your front pads and discs because they were bare. Yeah, so apparently I should have noticed. <laughs> yeah, you should. But I was but... listening to the archers. I can't, I'm listening to, you know, Clary <laughs> prattling away and I can't hear where the brake pads are doing. No, of course you can't. <laughs> no, no one can hear that. Oh, dear, dear. Anyway, look, um, it's it's going to be another busy week as we build up to Glasgow. But uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the Hopcast Book Show. Don't forget to go to our website, www.hobeck.net. All of the uh, Cooking the Books, our Christmas book. Yes, please. Which is a charity book, and it supports the Trussell Trust and their work with food banks across the UK, which we're delighted to support. So all profits go there, basically. And I should say, um, we've had some heart team feedback already on the cooking of the books. Oh, good. All oh, good. Good, 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 good. So uh, thank you for, for joining us. My name's been Adrian Hobart, and it, it still is. It still is. <laughs> Hers <laughs> is. And mine in future will be Rebecca Collins. <laughs> Possibly Rebecca Hobart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you keep playing your cards right. Uh, more on that next year. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And... Uh, uh, as I say, check out our website and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. It makes a huge difference to the impact that we make. Uh, we are grateful for every subscriber and every listener. So thank you for joining us. And all it remains for me to say, and indeed Rebecca, is have a wonderful and creative week. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.